Welcome to the Every Nation Rosebank Church Podcast. At our church, we honor God, make disciples, and transform nations. For more information about our church, visit everynationrosebank.org and don't forget to subscribe. It is my joy and honor to introduce to you our speaker today, Pastor Cheesy. Please come on up. Let's give him a round of applause. Pastor Cheesy. He's one of the lay pastors here at Every Nation Rosebank. Uh, in the first service, he leads prayer, and all of you who have prayed with him, you know that he's a man of prayer. When you pray with Cheesy, you just want to continue praying. The second thing I like about him is that he is really a man of integrity. He hasn't even began to share the testimony of what God has done in his life, but walking through trials and tests, God has preserved him to be where he is today. The third thing I like about Brother Cheesy is that he loves his family. He's married to Faith, and they've got two children, Salmon and Tama, who also serve in this church. But what I like the most about him is he dresses like me first Sunday of the year. Let's welcome Pastor Cheesy. Hey, good morning, family. Yeah, it's an honor to stand before you this morning and uh, share the word of God. And, uh, you know, we thank God. God is a good God. And uh, the devil is a bad devil. Amen. <laughs> Hallelujah. Thank you. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you for your word. We thank you for your flock. And we thank you for every visitor here. And my God, I pray that I be an instrument in your hands, a mere conduit of blessing to your people this morning. And may your word flow through unhindered in Jesus' name. Amen. Hallelujah. Uh, today, I have the honor of uh, kickstarting our Christmas sermon series, you know, entitled uh, Promise Fulfilled. So um, uh, this morning, I will speak on the plan fulfilled. You know, the plan of God's salvation. How many of you know that your salvation was not an afterthought? Yes. You know, God intended that from the very foundations of the earth. You know, before he had laid any of the seven tectonic plates that make the foundations of the earth, God had your salvation in mind. Yes. Hallelujah. And uh, this morning, I want us to uh, read Genesis chapter 3. Verse number 15, and that's what will set us in motion uh, with the message for this morning. Thank you, Lord Jesus. And it reads as follows. I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your seed and her seed. Ye shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. And I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your seed and your seed. Ye shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. Hallelujah. You know, the word of God is quick and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit, and separates the bone from the marrow. And this morning, I want to speak to you concerning the plan that God had for your salvation. 
before the earth was set in motion, before the earth started to revolve around the sun, God had intended that you be destined for salvation and not damnation. And so the scripture that we've just read happened at a time when everything was chaotic. Our four parents, Adam and Eve, yet caught on to the lie of the devil when he told Eve that if you eat of the fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, your eyes will be opened and you'll be just like God. The Bible says Eve looked at that tree and she realized it was good. It was beautiful and good for food. And she took of that tree, ate, and gave it to her husband with her. And that was the darkest day in human history. The whole human race fell into darkness because of that single decision that they made. God had created them whole and perfect and disposed them to love God, to love truth, to love righteousness. But they still had a free will to choose. And Eve chose to eat of the tree. And in so doing, sin entered the entire human race. And all of creation was dragged down into a hollow pit of darkness. But thank God for God. Hallelujah. You know, we serve an awesome God. God never has a plan B. He just only has plan A. And it's because his plans never fail. His plans cannot be frustrated. His plans cannot be rescinded. His plans cannot be annulled. And right after the fall, God gets on the scene. And what he did the first time was to pronounce a curse and judgment on the serpent. And said from this point on, you'll move on your belly. And you are cursed above all creatures. Glory to Jesus. And he said, for all your days, you'll eat dust. And that was the pro pronouncement of the curse on the serpent. But thank God for God. You know, our God is a good God. In spite of what they've done, God does not curse Adam and Eve. You know, what he does is to curse the ground for their sake. And he said, from this point on, Thorns and thistles will grow naturally out of the ground. You know, the good crops that are made for food for human beings do not grow naturally since that day. What grows naturally are thorns and thistles, all kinds of weeds, because the ground is cursed for men's sake because of that single decision to choose the path of evil rather than the path of righteousness. Glory to God. So this morning, that's where we're singing from. In the midst of the chaos, the confusion, the darkness, and the sorrow that filled their lives, God gets on the scene and makes a declaration. Adam and Eve, you have failed. You have disappointed me. You have broken my heart. But I've got this one thing to say. There is a Savior coming. There is a Savior coming. There is a seed of the woman that's coming. 
there is a man that will be born without any involvement of a man. Just born of a virgin and that man will crush the head of the serpent. You know, when you put your heel on the head of a snake, the snake doesn't survive. It's mortally wounded. And so the Lord declared right there that there is a savior who will come and he will bruise the head of the serpent. And the serpent will bruise his heel. The Bible tells us in Isaiah that he was bruised for our iniquities. He was wounded for our transgressions. But before we go further this morning, I want us to start at the beginning. The Bible says in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. And he did that all in six days. And at the end of each day, the Bible says, and God would look at what he had created and he would say, behold, it is good. You know, second day, he beheld at what he had created and said, behold, it is good. The third, fourth, fifth, and sixth day, the same thing. And on the sixth day, he looked at everything that he had created from day one to day six, and he said, it is very good. So all of God's creation was perfect and beautiful. You know, think of the mountains, the rivers, the streams, everything that God made, beautiful. The creatures, great and small. The Bible says even the sky, the firmament declares his glory. Everything was glorious. You know, it was autographed in God's excellency. God couldn't actually help but say, it is beautiful. And when I get to the book of Job 38, the Bible tells us that after God had created all that, the angels of heaven sang in praises and wonder at the creation of God. It was all beautiful and glorious. Hallelujah. In 1958, some uh, Swedish uh, minister of religion uh, traveled to the countryside to visit some beautiful country estate. And while he was there, there was a violent storm. Lightning and thunder. A lot of damage took place. And before long, the storm was over. And after the storm, his heart was warmed by the chirping of birds after a terrible storm. And in the midst of the aftermath of the damage, the carnage that the storm had brought, he dropped down to his knees in wonder at the greatness of God and began to worship him and penned, you know, the classic song that we all are singing, How Great Thou Art. Hallelujah. Because our God is a great God and he created wonderful things. But I just want to say this morning that in the midst of all that beauty, that splendor, entered the serpent into the Garden of Eden. You know, the paradise where God had planted Adam and Eve. The serpent entered there and once he entered, he disrupted life in the paradise of God. In the Garden of Eden. You know, Adam was created perfect. He never needed grandpa. He never suffered from any sickness or headache. He was not prone to any illness. Because he was made perfect, he was good. But after the fall, 
he descended into a world of chaos, a world of pain and sorrow, a world of loss, a world of sadness, a world where he needed even sunscreen because the sun, the sun would bite him. A world where the frost would bite. A world of evil because of sin. But thank God for our God is a good God. He made that promise to the woman that there is a Savior who is coming. After that point going forward, every patriarch, every matriarch looked forward to the coming of a Savior. And so when Cain was born to Eve, Eve actually praised God and said, thank God I've received a man from the Lord. And she thought this was the seed who was going to crush the head of the serpent. But she was mistaken, it was not yet. With the passage of time that same Cain was to kill his brother Abel. And when we read in Hebrews 11, it says, Abel had a testimony that he was a righteous man. So the seed was therefore going to come through a path of righteousness. But Abel was taken out of the picture. Our first parents created in perfection and planted in a perfect garden become the first people ever to have a funeral. And their son, long before social media, Facebook and all, murdered his brother without any reference point where he had seen murder. Murdered his brother when he had not read of murder in any place. Where he had not been told of murder from any circle. Because of the fall, because of the evil of sin, that was conceived in his heart to take out his brother. And he became the first murderer. His parents witnessed the first homicide. A premeditated murder right after the fall. The disastrous consequences of sin. You know, the parts of God are parts of righteousness and good. Are parts of peace and love. But the parts of sin are parts of destruction and every kind of war and evil. But thank God for God for his plan. Hallelujah. You know, after that, the world was just on a downward trajectory. Everything was going south. The lights were getting dimmer and dimmer. Before long, the world was full of violence and full of all kinds of evil. You know, it repented God that he had created man. And God, having invested himself so much in humanity, got to a place where he said, I cannot carry on with these people the way they are. Their thoughts were continually evil, and they thought of violence only and no good. So God was brought to a place where he had to start afresh. The earth was so corrupt, there was none good. There was no one following righteousness. Only one man was found of God, and that was Noah. And Noah was to preach to the entire world then and tell them of the impending doom and tell them of the flood that was going to come upon the face of the earth so that God would start afresh again. And no one heeded the voice of Noah because back in those days, the Bible tells us there was no rain on earth. It would never rain on earth, but a mist would go up from the ground and water the earth. 
So Noah was telling people about something that they'd never seen, heard, or experienced. That there is a massive rain coming and the flood that will be upon the, the entire earth. No one believed him except his wife, his three sons, and their wives. So those were the only human beings that entered into the ark with Noah. Fast forward after the ark, men formed a league and came together. They still did not choose the parts of God. They still did not choose the parts of righteousness. But thought they could do it on their own. That was the start of secular humanism. You know, which says every human being is good and we can attain to a platform of excellence without God. The Bible has a different picture. It says the human heart is desperately wicked and deceitful above all things. And that is why we need a savior. So they gathered together to build the Tower of Babel, which was going to be a buffer against any future flooding of the earth. And they make their own way to heaven without God and without Jesus Christ. Before long, God came down and confused them and scattered them across the face of the earth and they started to speak different tongues. And somebody sitting here might be saying, this preacher is preaching myths. But I want to tell you the Tower of Babel was a real place with real people. And a real God came down and caused real confusion and scattered them across the face, the face of the earth in a real way. And after that happened, the plan of God for bringing the salvation was also accelerated. Out of the ashes and the ruin of the Tower of Babel, post that era, the Bible appears to a man who was living in the neighborhood of the Tower of Babel in the land of Mesopotamia, present-day Iraq, by the name of Abram. And he called him from there. And he said, leave your father's house, leave your family, leave your country, and go to a place that I will show you. And Abraham obeyed and left without any compass, without any map, without an idea where this land was. But he took God at his word. And the Bible says because he took God at his word, it was counted for him for righteousness. So he left. I mean, can you imagine this? Abraham leaving the place of his dwelling, leaving his assets, leaving his built-up house, leaving everything that he had except the flocks that he took along. And as they were going, Sarah says, where are we going? And he says, I don't know. <laughs> but God has told me to leave my country and he will show us where we should go. And so in faith, Abraham left. And in leaving, God gave him a promise that he would bless him. And that all the nations of the earth will be blessed in his seed. But unfortunately, Abraham could not have a child. You know, Sarah was stricken in age and she could not conceive. But Abraham waited on God for some 25 years and the promise seemed not to be getting fulfilled. In between the waiting, Sarah recommended, suggested that how about Hagar? Let's get a son through Hagar. And Ishmael was born. But God came back to Abraham and said, my promise still stands. 
And I just want to say this morning, God's promises still stand. The promises of God have not been revoked. The promises of God have not been rescinded. They stand sure and more stable than the mountains that we see. Adam, sorry, Isaac eventually is born to, to Abraham and Sarah. You know, what a joyful day. What a, a moment of such a praise to God. Actually, when Sarah received the news that she was going to conceive, she actually laughed. You know, the promise of God was too good to be true. You know, at 90 years of age, that this woman would go through nine months of gestation and give birth naturally, not through cesarean section. Sarah found that incredible, and she laughed. And therefore, the name of the boy was actually called laughter in Hebrew, Yitzhak, Isaac. But the laughter was going to die down because God came back to Abraham after the young man had attained a certain age and said to Abraham, Abraham, I want you to sacrifice your son, your only son whom you love. And Abraham, being a man of faith and obedient to God, did not ask any questions, but simply followed the instruction that God had given him. The Bible says he said good his donkey and got the firewood, got the fire, and with two of his servants and Isaac, they embarked on the journey to Moriah. The Bible tells us that that journey took them three days. And when they were at the foot of Mount Moriah, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the hill where he was to sacrifice his son. And he left his servants behind, scaled that mountain with Isaac, got to the top, and that's where we now uh, join the story. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Genesis 22, verses 4 to 8. Then on the third day, Abraham lifted his eyes and saw the place afar off. And Abraham said to his young man, stay here with the donkey. The Lord and I will go yonder and worship and will come back to you. So Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac. And what I just want to say, family, before I proceed, Genesis chapter 22 is a foretaste of Calvary. It's an Old Testament portrait of the death, burial, and resurrection of our only Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Abraham laid the hood on the back of Isaac. And in the New Testament, the hood, the wooden cross was laid on the back of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. And he took the fire in his hand and the knife and two of them went together. But Isaac spoke to Abraham, his father, and said, My father. And he said, Here I am, my son. Then he said, Look, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? And Abraham said, My son, God will provide for himself the lamb. Family, please take note. The scripture does not say God will provide for himself a lamb. It says God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering. 
So the two of them went together. You know, this lamb that's spoken of here was not just a male animal. The lamb that was spoken of here was the very seed of the woman that would crush the head of the serpent years down the line. Hallelujah. So Abraham obeyed, bound the young man Isaac, placed him on the firewood, and unsheathed his knife. And he was going to cut off the throat of Isaac in obedience to God. Just as he was about to do it, a voice of an angel spoke and said, Stop, Abraham. Do the, the young man no harm. Look behind you, there is a ram caught in a thicket. And that ram was a shadow of the lamb of God which would be slain in later times that would carry the entire the, the sins of the entire world. And you might ask that why was it a ram and not a lamb? It had to be a ram in that instance because the ram had to be caught up in a thicket by its horns. You see, the lamb that was to be sacrificed needed to be without scar, without blemish, without any fault, without any impurity. It had to be perfect. If a lamb had been caught up in the thorns, it would have been mad, and therefore it would not have been a meat sacrifice. Glory to Jesus. So the ram was caught in the thicket. Glory to God. And Isaac was spared. The ram was a substitute for Isaac. The ram took the place of Isaac. Where he was supposed to die, he lived. And the Bible says, Abraham believed in God so much that he did not doubt that Isaac was still the child of promise and that the entire world would be blessed through the seed. In Hebrews chapter 11, it says, Abraham actually believed God to a point where he was confident that even if he had killed Isaac, God was going to resurrect him. Glory to Jesus. Glory to Jesus. And now, here's the beautiful, the beautiful thing hidden in that portion of scripture. The journey of Abraham and Isaac to Moriah took them three days. Hallelujah. Our Lord and Savior was buried for three days and three nights. And on the third day, he was raised from the dead. He was raised from the dead. And on the third day, Isaac was raised from the dead. And in a figure, the Bible says, Abraham received Isaac from the dead. Yes. Glory to God. And after that beautiful picture that we've just uh, uh, looked at in Scripture, God comes back to Abraham. He says, Abraham... Because you've obeyed my words and did not withhold your son. I'm going to bless you. And in your seed, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. You know, whether Tonga, Tonga, you know, Kosa, Zulu, every, every nation you can think of will be blessed through the seed of Abraham. Glory to God. And because of the you know, God had laid down the Bekel plan. Right in Genesis chapter 3, God laid out the Bekel plan. He was basically saying to, to Satan, this is the plan. You know, there will be enmity between your seed and the seed of the human. And the seed of the human will crush your head and you'll bruise his heel. And in essence, God was saying there is a savior 
a greater than anyone else who's lived who's coming and is going to crush the head of the serpent. And God was rolling out his redemptive plan down the centuries. Glory to God. God did not raise Abraham because he loved Abraham or he preferred him from other men. God raised Abraham for purposes of raising a nation. You know, and that nation called Israel that came through Jacob. And the purpose of raising Jacob and Israel was not because God simply loved them. But he wanted to bring the Messiah, the Savior, through this nation. Glory to God. The seed of the woman was going to come through this nation. Glory to God. Hallelujah. So when we get to Exodus and Moses is born... The enemy inspires Herod to make sure, you know, the advance of the seed is stopped. It doesn't happen. You know, he says, all children, male boys, male children, boys, uh, two years and under, be taken out. Be taken out. But Moses and other boys were spared. Glory to God. And Moses became a savior for the nation of Israel out of Egypt. You know, being a type of the seed of the woman who was still to come. You know, pointing to the Lamb of God who was going to take away the sin of the world. Glory to Jesus. Fast forward, we get to the story of Esther. You know, there arises a man by the name of Haman who had actually conceived in his heart that the Jews should be exterminated. And petitioned the king. And the king signed the petition. And the Jews were going to be taken out and thus stop the purposes of God and the advance of, uh, you know, the, the plan of redemption and the coming forth of the seed of the woman, the Lamb of God who would take away the sin of the world. But as I said, God never has plan B. He only has plan A because his plans never fail. Glory to Jesus. Hallelujah. And we move forward. You know, just hold it in your mind that God has promised Abraham that all the nations of the earth will be blessed in his seed. And we get to uh, King David. King David, the sweet psalmist of Israel, you know, went to the prophet Nathan and said, it is not good for me to live in a beautiful palace while the ark of my God is housed in a tent. He said, I want to build God a house so that God lives in a beautiful house, a temple for God, for God's presence in Israel. You know, God gave a word to Nathan and said, that is a good thing that David has, has conceived of doing. But I'm not going to allow him to do it because he has shed so much blood. He's been a man of war. But one of his sons that will come from his loins will actually build me a temple. And he said, his seed, his seed shall be established on the throne forever and ever. Glory to God. And we fast forward and get to the New Testament. The very first verse in the book of Matthew reads as follows. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ. The son of David, the son of Abraham. You know, the very seed that was promised to David is now coming forth. The very seed which was promised to Abraham is coming forth. And this seed shall crush the head of the serpent. Glory to Jesus. 
Maybe to just add another third angle in the third book of Luke. Luke gives the genealogy of Jesus Christ, tracing it back to Adam. So the seed of Eve is now on the scene. He's arrived and his name is Jesus Christ. For he shall deliver his people from their sins. He will save them from their sins. And this morning, brothers and sisters, I just want to say to you that Jesus Christ is the very seed of the woman which was promised to Eve. Glory to God. The Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. When John the Baptist saw him walking down the shores of the river Jordan, he looked at him and said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Hallelujah. You know, the Lamb of God which was promised to Abraham in Genesis 22 was now on the scene. And as I said earlier, this Lamb is not just a mere animal. This Lamb is a human being. This Lamb is a man. The seed of the woman. Born of the Virgin Mary without a man being involved. Therefore, we can rightfully call him the seed of the woman. And as I draw to your close this morning, I just want to say that in the Passover feast in the book of Exodus, God instituted that the Passover lamb should be brought indoors five days before the Passover, be inspected for any blemishes and so on, and kept separate from the flock. Hallelujah. And when we come into the New Testament, the Lord Jesus Christ, the Bible says, five days before the Passover, he entered into Jerusalem to be tried of the chief priests and captains of, of the nation. And they tried him for over that period. They, they, they brought up a number of witnesses. And at the end of that period, Pilate got to a place where he says, I find no fault in this man. Hallelujah. The lamb was blameless. The lamb was perfect. The lamb made no scar. The lamb was perfect to carry your sins and mine. But Herod was, uh, Pilate was not a religious man. He was a mere politician and a pragmatic one at that. He had been installed there by Rome. So he was serving under the auspices of the Roman Empire. You know, in the midst of the vehement crowd and the noise, you know, from uh, the people, he was out to maintain the peace. And he was convinced this man was good and he had done nothing wrong. And he wanted desperately to actually get Jesus out and not him have to face the cross. So he then said to the people, I've just remembered you've got a custom that had passed over you know, one criminal is released as an act of grace. So I'm thinking we can do that and uh, release Jesus. This man is a good man. There is nothing he has done. So you brought two people. You brought Barabbas on one side and Jesus. And you say to the people, these are the two guys that you can choose from. As far as Pilate was concerned, it was more than obvious that they would go with Jesus. Because he was a good man and they'd done nothing wrong. You know, Mark refers to Barabbas as a rebel and a murderer. 
You know, in the Gospel of John, he's referred to as a robber. So you've got Jesus Christ being pitted against a rebel, a murderer, a robber. They are on the same podium. They are on the same level. They are on the same ballot paper. And people have got to choose one or the other. The choice was stark and clear. Barabbas or Jesus. There was no chance of spoiled papers, spoiled ballots. And this is what I want to say this morning. That in the case of Jesus Christ, there is no neutrality. You either choose him or the other one. There is no middle ground. Glory to God. Shall we stand? Glory to Jesus. So here we are, we've got Barabbas and Jesus Christ. Barabbas was a carnal man. Jesus was a spiritual man. Barabbas was a revolutionary. And Jesus preached regeneration. Barabbas used the sword to achieve his objectives. Jesus Christ had no work for the sword to do. Barabbas was working for emancipation from a Uh, the Roman Empire, Jesus Christ was ushering in the salvation of the human race. Deliverance from sin and and, and death. Glory to God. Now just imagine the humiliation of our Savior being placed on the same level as Barabbas. And Pilate says, choose between these two. And the crowd cried out unanimously, we want Barabbas crucify Jesus, crucify him. And the Bible says, we all like sheep had gone astray. But God has laid upon Jesus Christ the iniquity of us all. Think of everything you've ever done wrong, the things that you've said wrong, the wrong thoughts you've entertained, uh, the wrong things that you've watched that you shouldn't have, everything of all that, and it was cast on Jesus. You know, Barabbas was let scot-free, but Jesus said to go to the cross and die a horrible death for you and me as the seed of the human. And in doing that, he was bruised by the enemy, but he crushed the head of the serpent. Glory to Jesus. The Lamb of God was slain before the foundations of the earth. And when we get to the book of Revelation, the Bible says, when John saw him, he was glorious. He was fearful. He was terrible. He fell down at his feet as dead. And Jesus laid his hand upon John and said, Fear not. I am he who was a dead and I'm alive and alive forevermore. And they have the keys of hell and of death. Glory to Jesus. I want to declare this morning that Jesus has overcome Satan. He has overcome the grave. He's overcome sin. He's triumphed over principalities and powers. He's disarmed them. Glory to Jesus. The seed of the woman has triumphed. Glory to God. Glory to Jesus. And as I step off from the podium, throughout eternity, the seed of the woman's praises will resound. 
You know, when I get to the book of Revelations, they refer to Jesus Christ as the Lion of the tribe of Judah. And this morning, raise your hands to him in praise and worship him. Hallelujah. Thank you, blessed Jesus. Thank you, blessed Jesus. Thank you, Lord. 